0: This is Pastor James Guyo, and welcome to Berean Sovereign Grace Church in Westerville, Ohio. We are a Sovereign Grace teaching ministry, and you can visit our website, www.salvationinchristalone.com to hear more of our messages, and also go to soundcloud.com and search for James Guyo. My last name is spelled G-U-Y-O, or you can search Berean Sovereign, just Berean Sovereign, and you'll see our messages there also. May the Lord bless your hearing, and may he serve you for his sake, for Christ's sake, and for the sake of his gospel. And now to our gospel teaching. Let us pray for our message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again, Lord, to glorify your name in the preaching and teaching of your son and his work, in his finished work of the gospel, in the salvation of his people. And Lord, we just pray again for your Holy Spirit to open the scriptures to your people that they may see what it is that you are communicating to your people. We pray for all those who shall hear this message and praying for these who are here that they may hear from you. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John 9, 13 to 22. John 9, 13 to 22 says, They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Verse 20. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. The word of the Lord. The title of a sermon is going to be, He is our son and he was born blind. (laughs) He is our son and he was born blind. Or our son blind from birth. That's a short one. I like these titles because they help me to see the gospel. <laughs> he is our son, and he was born blind, or our son blind from birth. Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. And the man was blind from birth and many, including Jesus' own disciples, thought it was because of some sin that the the parents had committed or he had committed whilst in his mother's belly. (laughs) And it was because of this sin that God smote him with blindness. And I'm sure it was not just the disciples. This was also the understanding of the generality of the people. They were holding to this kind of theology that a man cannot just be blind from birth. There has to be something that caused it, especially something that he did or the parents. Things could not just happen to him unless he had done something wrong or bad. And that is how humans always think. We have to always give an explanation of why things are the way they are. And in this context, they have to find someone to blame. It's him or the parents. But Jesus comes and says, not so fast. You have no ability to interpret God's providence. You have no ability to understand the fullness of the works of God. And in John 9, 3, Jesus came and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So Jesus was saying, It is God who caused the man to be born blind, not because of anything that the man did. And Jesus was not saying the man was not a sinner. No, he was just saying, Your cause and effect in this context is wrong. This man was born blind by God's will and purpose that Christ may be glorified in bringing sight to him on this day as is. But this kind of God and this kind of teaching is unacceptable teaching in many churches because they have a false view of who God is. They don't think a God who is all-loving can cause one to be born blind. But that is the theology and teaching of Jesus. That's the teaching and theology of Jesus. And what we can learn from that is God is more interested in his own glory than the comfort of man. And so he is willing to bring an inconvenience even for a lifetime, in a person that he may be glorified. And that's the God of the Bible. This man who was born blind also by default became a beggar. He became a blind beggar, which means he had no ability to sustain or provide for himself other than through begging. This very purposeful teaching from God. He lived on the generosity of others, of well wishes. He lived on the compassion of others. He lived on the grace and mercy of others. For one who is born blind does not have that many options of employment. They cannot expedite orders at a drive through at McDonald's. And so they have to beg. And as a beggar, they only have one option to live. They live by grace. They live by grace. But this was not about just someone who could not see and live on begging. The blind beggar was a picture of those that qualify to be on Jesus' guest list. We always talk about Jesus guest list, the kind of people that Jesus saves, the blind, the crippled, the lame, the sick. And what all these people have in common is their lack of ability to take care of themselves. They have no ability to produce righteousness in themselves. That is the whole idea that God is teaching. If you look at their walk, they are crippled. They walk as if they have many stones in their shoes, if they have any shoes. Or they have blisters in their feet. They do not walk straight because of the debilitating effects of sin they are basically unrighteous. That's the point. They are unrighteous and lack the ability in themselves to be righteous. And they lack the ability to supply for themselves that which would cause them to walk upright. They are blind, which means they have no light in themselves to see themselves or others because you see, For you to be able to see, you need light. Light has to get through you through the eyes. And when your eyes are not working, you can't see. So that is a picture of all men because of the fall. They have no ability to receive light as to see spiritual things by themselves. So because of that, they also lack spiritual judgment. They have no ability to make proper spiritual judgment of spiritual things. And also they lack the ability to cause themselves to see in as much as they may want to see. I'm sure this man had been longing to see from when he was a little boy, but he lacked the ability to cause himself to see. They lack the ability to get into the pool by themselves When the waters have been disturbed. If you still remember the story of the man who had an infirmity from John 5 verses 5 to 7. I'm going to read that because it helped us to understand the teaching that I have been given to share today. John 5 verses 5 to 7. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me while I'm coming. I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up. Those who have spiritual infirmities do not boast of their abilities to get into the pool by themselves in the face of Jesus. They can only say to Jesus, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. They can only talk about their inability. I have no one. I have no one. They always see as if someone is always ahead of them. They can't reach by themselves for that which would give them life. Unless someone comes and helps them. What does that say? It is saying men are born spiritually dead. And are not able to help themselves in matters of salvation. This is about salvation. This is not about getting into the pool. There is no island of righteousness that is left in those who are in Adam. Men have no ability. They have no ounces of goodness by which they can figure out Jesus and the gospel by their own free will, whatever they call it. If they're telling the truth, they have to say, with the man at the pool, I can't get into the pool unless someone comes and helps me. And they have to be saying the same thing as the parents of the man born blind: that surely our son was born blind, right from the beginning. So Romans three ten to twelve will say will give us the theology of that. In a very explicit way and say, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, there's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. So that's a summary again of inability and of the condition the spiritual condition of all men because of sin, non-righteous. And it is only those who are born again who see their infirmities. They see their inability to be righteous and so they can only boast in their weaknesses and say, Jesus, say, I have no one to take me into the pool. I have no one. They only talk about their inability. So they can only talk about their weaknesses. And we have Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10 say, Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Boast in my infirmities, boast in my weaknesses. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For the power of Christ is made perfect in weakness. The power of the gospel, the power of salvation is evident, is made manifest in the weakness of men because of sin. And those who see their infirmities because they've been born again also share the same testimony with Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, verses 7 to 9, where Apostle Paul says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So that is the testimony of those that are weak. They realize by the spirit of God, by the grace of God, that they are infirm and they can only stand before God by the righteousness that is by the faith of Christ. The righteousness of Christ and not the righteousness that is according to the law, the righteousness of their own obedience. So this is the profile and the testimony of this blind beggar. He is the ultimate picture of those who are recipients of grace. Grace is not for those who think they see in themselves as we are going to learn from Jesus later saying to the Pharisees that what well, you think you see so your sin remains. So grace is not for those who think they see Those who think have righteousness according to their own estimation. The Pharisees thought they had righteousness according to their own estimation. Grace is given not to those who are rich in their own eyes, but those who are poor, those who are meek and those who are naked. Those who have nothing to boast about before God that is the purpose of all these conditions, is saying you ultimately have nothing before him and your standing is only by that which he has bestowed upon you in his son. But you and I do not make ourselves blind beggars. We do not make ourselves crippled. There is no way to make yourself a blind beggar. You can even poke your eyes, you can st- you'll still not be a blind beggar. You're just someone who used to see, who poked their eyes. <laughs> because these are spiritual matters. Spiritually, that is the work of God in His people, that they may see Christ and Him alone as the reason why they see and receive spiritual things. And the Jews have one of these of Christ in their hands and they do not know what to do with him. They do not know what to make up of what has just happened to him. They are looking at the man with their own fallen eyes, with their own blind eyes. They are not too impressed by what has just happened to him. And so they have to make some theological statements as to discount The work of Christ in the man. They are religious authorities. They are the religious authorities. And it is they who have to make the interpretations and the ruling on what has happened. They are the ones who are supposed to be the spiritual people. But they are natural men. (laughs) They are not born again. Yet they are very religious. So one can Be very religious and not be born again. They are doing things which are beyond their pay grade. And that is why they are stumbling at the face of Jesus. They can't read or receive spiritual things according to 1 Corinthians 2 verses 13 to 15. Things we also speak, says Apostle Paul. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. So the blind beggar is a spiritual man. He descends the things of Christ. He judges the religious leaders rightly, but they fail to judge him rightly. And Jesus also is a spiritual man. He judges the Pharisees rightly, but he himself was rightly judged by no one. And the blind man is in union with Christ, and I hope to talk about that next week because what we see here in the book of John, we have an unusual situation where, according to John, his purpose of writing is f- for us to know that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the Christ, and believing that we may have eternal life. So, Jesus is the center of John's writing, and yet in this chapter, This is the only chapter in the book of John where Jesus is not at the center. It's the blind man who is at the center. So we are going to talk about union and bring out the theology that actually Jesus is still the center of the discussion. (laughs) So the Lord willing, we'll talk more about that next week. But the religious leaders have failed to discern the work of the Spirit of God in the man And so they resort to find a reason to charge the man and Jesus. So as to discredit both the miracle and Jesus. And yes, of course, it's very convenient. It is a Sabbath day. (laughs) And they were just so lucky that it was a Sabbath day. And so what did they do? Verses 13 to 16 of John 9. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I watched and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. According to the interpretation of the Pharisees, kneading clay, lighting a fire, was a work on a Sabbath. And Jesus was guilty of violating the Sabbath because he would. He needed some clay. And told a man to go wash. Another work. And the blind beggar was guilty. Because he had the work of being healed. Performed on him. By one who had violated the Sabbath. (laughs) So he was also guilty by association. And so the Pharisees inquire. Again as to how the man. Had his eyes opened. But the former blind beggar sticks to his testimony and says, "He put clay on my eyes, and I watched, and I see. Yes, that's simple. That's simple formula. And the Pharisees are not amused at all. And so John says in verse 16, Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. Jesus cannot be from God. Why? Because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? So the Pharisees make the deduction that Jesus cannot be from God because he does not keep the Sabbath according to their own evaluation. And the Pharisees may have been thinking of Deuteronomy 13, verses 3 to 5. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst. So they think Jesus must be this prophet, this dreamer of dreams. A false prophet who is causing God's people to turn away from obeying the commandments of the Lord. Seeing that the Sabbath was very important to the Israelites because of the Old Covenant. But as always, Jesus brings division. And Jesus has to bring division. Always. He has to bring division. Some people say, well he cannot be from God, he cannot be a prophet. How can a true prophet break the commandment of the Sabbath? And yet others say, Well, how can a sinner do such signs as this? Signs as opening the eyes of one who was born blind. This is not a common occurrence. This they've never heard of this thing opening the eyes of someone who is blind. So Jesus brings division. And that is expected because the Bible says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So Jesus Christ is the word of God. It is here Who divides. And in Luke 12, verses 51 to 53, Jesus himself says, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father mother against daughter and daughter against mother mother in law against daughter in law and daughter in law against her mother in law so the gospel of jesus christ divides between those who are just religious and those who are blind beggars whose eyes have been opened by jesus so division is part of the package of preaching teaching and believing the true gospel is going to happen it is not an aberration. It is not a mistake. If God opens your eyes to the truth, it is going to bring division. And religious people are going to say, but I've been in church <laughs> all my life and I've never heard that. Like their opinion really matters when it comes to eternal matters. The religious bust in their goodness. We want to write that down. Ginny, since you're writing notes. (laughs) They boast in their keeping of the law or any provision of the law. They claim to keep the law to honor God, but they deny Jesus in the process. They deny the gospel in the process. But Jesus has come earlier and said in John 7, 19, Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? It is the very same religious people, the very same Pharisees, who are accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, who are intent on killing him. And that is intent on committing murder. Jesus says, and this is a summary statement, none of you keeps the law. Those who claim to keep the law do not keep the law And they've never kept the law. Thinking that one keeps the law and actually keeping the law, that is giving 100% obedience to what the Lord says are two different things. The Pharisees think they are keeping the law just because they have the law in their hands. But Jesus says, no. (laughs) Yes, you receive the law from Moses But you have never kept the law. And a lot of people think they keep the law just because they say so. Keeping the law and actually doing the law are totally different things. And so the Pharisees were saying to Jesus in verse 16 of John 9. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. There are some who say they keep the Sabbath. They picked out one provision of the law, the Sabbath, and made it their thing and called themselves the Seventh-day Adventists. They claim to be law keepers and there are different variations of that in different denominations. It is zeal without knowledge of the gospel. It is being ignorant Of the righteousness of God in Christ. And failing to submit to that righteousness which is by faith in Christ and his finished work. To these people, anybody who does not claim to keep the Sabbath cannot be from God and cannot be saved. Because that's the implication of what the Jews, the Pharisees are insinuating About Jesus. Jesus cannot be from God. Look he is not keeping the Sabbath. So they have marked out. Sabbath keeping. As the definitive marker. Of one standing. Before God. As many others do. With many other things. That they fashion for themselves. Idols. And by that. They have changed the gospel into another, which is no gospel at all. They have changed the condition of salvation from Christ alone to Christ plus Sabbath keeping. To long dresses, to tithing, to fasting, to whatever they can add to Jesus that is within the reach of their religious arms. The Pharisees attacked Jesus for not keeping the Sabbath. Because they thought they were keeping the Sabbath. That's the only way. They thought they were keeping the law perfectly. And because of that, they thought God was happy with them and even met Jesus. (laughs) But this Jesus, this lawless one could not be from God because he was healing people on the Sabbath. But this is what they did not know. Jesus did not break the Sabbath and did not break the law. He was innocent. He was holy, undefiled, and separate from sinners, according to the writer of Hebrews. He was without sin, and it is he who gave the Sabbath. And it is he who had the proper understanding and interpretation of what the Sabbath was supposed to be. The believer in Christ is not under obligation to observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to national Israel under the old covenant as a token of that covenant. A token is a pledge. It's a sign. It's a mark, an emblem, a representation of a particular fact. And I'll give you an example. A ring worn on the proper finger is a token that one is married. And you are not going to have multiple rings to say, oh, I'm married to two three people. And God is the one who came up with this. Tokens. It's not man's invention. And so God gave tokens or representations to the covenants that he made with his people. And these tokens were signs of commitment. And fidelity to a particular covenant. And as we know, the whole idea of a covenant is a marriage situation. So God always represents covenants as marriage. So the church is married to Christ. Christ is our husband. And the church is the bride. And let's talk a little about the tokens or the signs or the seals of the different covenants that are in the Bible. So that we may bring more clarity to this teaching on the Sabbath. When you're reading the Bible, in the Old Testament, God made a sign or token when he made the covenant between himself and Noah. And the token of that covenant was the rainbow. And that's Genesis 9 verses 12 and 13. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is, with, that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So the rainbow is the token or the token of the covenant between God and Noah. In Genesis 17, verses 10 and 11, God made a token of the Abrahamic covenant. And that token was male circumcision. Male circumcision. God says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So male circumcision was the token, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. In Exodus 16 God gave the token of the old covenant. The covenant that he made with the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, when he took them out of Egypt. And that token was the Sabbath. The token of the old covenant was the Sabbath. God says in Exodus 31, 16, Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. To observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. The children of Israel. Now we go to the new covenant. The token of the new covenant is the Holy Spirit. Remember what a token is. It's a seal. It's a sign. It's a guarantee. So Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Spirit is the guarantee of the new covenant. Second Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us, hear that language, and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, as a deposit, as a promissory note. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is the seal of the new covenant. He is the guarantee of the new covenant. So when you say you are observing a token of a different covenant, you are ending up with two seals the seal of the old covenant and the seal of the new. And you are hybridizing and you can't. You are entering into more than one marriage relationship. So if one says they are observing the Sabbath, they are claiming to still be under the old covenant because the Sabbath was a token of the old covenant and not of the new. The Sabbath of the old covenant was only typological or was just a picture of the rest of God's people that they have entered in and through and by Christ. And so those who are under the new covenant are not under the old and the Sabbath does not bind on them. Those who have believed the gospel have rested from their works of which the Sabbath was talking about. Because remember, the instruction of the Sabbath was, if anyone did any kind of work on the Sabbath, they were supposed to be killed. Picking up sticks. And God killed someone in the Old Testament. I still remember that. For picking up sticks. So what was that about? It's all about work. And God is saying those who are in Christ have been accepted in Christ's finished work and so they have ceased from their own works. Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, as to the Jews who were under the law. Israel, that was under the law. So God says the gospel was preached to them also. But the word which they had did not profit them unto salvation. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who had it. They did not mix it with faith as to understand the spiritual nature of what that meant. For we who have believed, now He's telling us. The nature of how we enter into that rest. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So God swore to them that they would not enter his rest. Because they thought the Sabbath was just about not picking sticks. For he has spoken, verse 4, in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. So now the writer of Hebrews by the Holy Spirit is bringing the Sabbath into the proper context. And says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's the creation story. That's the creation ordinance. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the entering into God's rest is about hearing the voice of God in the gospel. His invitation to come And rest in Christ's finished work. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest. Joshua is he who took the children of Israel. After Moses had died. He took them into Canaan. And yet Joshua did not give them rest. Because if he did. And that's the argument that the writer of Hebrews saying. Then he would not afterward had spoken of another day. There remains therefore. A rest for the people of God. So there remains a rest for the people of God, which is outside the physical keeping of Saturday as the Sabbath. Verse 10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So the one who has entered the rest of God also stops working. <laughs> they stop working. Let us therefore, that's the exhortation, verse 11, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So the writer of Hebrews is saying the Lord did not give those who were under it rest. And God constantly reminded them of that reality by the unending wars. That the children of Israel had with their neighboring nations. They always were fighting their enemies. And so God did not grant them rest. The law could not give rest in the promised land. It was by the law that the children of Israel entered the promised land. They were under the law. So the law only had the promise of rest. The Sabbath was given as a shadow of the rest that God was going to bring to his people in the new creation, in the new covenant, in the blood of Christ. So those who have entered God's rest have also ceased from their works of trying to be accepted by God as God. Did from his. They have entered into the same rest that God entered in himself when he finished the work of creation. And so what this is saying is that one who is still trying to keep the law is refusing to enter into God's rest. Because you can't enter into God's rest when you're still trying to keep the law. And that is also saying they are denying Jesus' sacrifice as the final and ultimate sacrifice that achieved their rest. But they'll say, oh no, we, no, we don't, we don't believe that. No, that's what they are believing. It is to say the blood of Christ was not sufficient to purchase rest for God's people from sin Death, the devil, and condemnation. Because that's what this is talking about. It's talking about sin, death, the devil, and condemnation. Those are the enemies of God's people. So if you are keeping the Sabbath, or if you claim to keep the Sabbath, you are working for salvation in the face of Christ. And God caused that disobedience. And a lot of these people say, oh, look at us, we are obeying God. And God says, no, 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 that is the same example of disobedience that caused the others who were under the law to die and perish. One is free to set aside whatever day they want to worship, but they can't make it mandatory because the Sabbath was mandatory. If they make it mandatory, now they are saying there is righteousness to it. You see the difference? They are saying now it is righteousness and it is now binding on the consciences of all those who are in Christ and that cannot be true and that's the problem. And that is why the exhortation is, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest because sinners do not want to enter into God's rest. They want to keep working. But how do we enter into God's rest? By faith in the finished work of Christ. And the Pharisees that were talking to the ex-blind beggar did not know that. They had met their Sabbath keeping, the end of all righteousness, the end of all things. But they were resting only in the shadow and not the substance of what the Sabbath was about. And Jesus has come to teach them. What the Sabbath was about by giving his people rest. This man rested. Being blind, being born blind, he was experiencing a down payment of the rest that was in Christ. Having his eyes opened and being able to see for the first time in his whole life. And the religious folk were stumbling at Jesus whilst those who belonged to Jesus, the blind beggars, were being blessed. But John says, in verses 18 and 19 of John 9, 9, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So the Jews are now desperate to discredit the work of Jesus in the man. First, they accuse Jesus of Sabbath breaking. And secondly, they refuse the self-witness of the man whom they knew very well to be blind. And so they seek for a second witness who is better to summon than the parents. So they put the parents in the witness stand who happened to be in Jerusalem at this very time. And the Pharisees interrogate them as to intimidate. The interrogation was not to really gain information. It was for them to give a false testimony about the condition of their son that they may have grounds to discredit Jesus. So they said, and they asked them saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Tell us, are you sure this is truly your son? We think he is lying. (laughs) But tell us how he received his sight. By the way your son, as we know him, was born blind. And surely this could not be him, could he? (laughs) Tell us, how then does he now see? Verse 20 and 21, his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him, he will speak for himself. So the parents said, yes, this is surely our son. And it is also true that he was born blind. And guess what? Your guess is just as good as ours as to how he received his sight. He is not faking it. He surely was born blind from birth. And that is the true testimony of all whose eyes are opened by Jesus. Their testimony is, I surely was born blind. That is to say... I did not cause myself to see. I wasn't born seeing Christ. It speaks to the spiritual condition, to the true spiritual condition of all men because of sin, blind from birth. But the parents then say, but by what means he now sees we do not know or who opened his eyes we do not know He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. The parents could only give testimony of the condition of their son, but as to how he received sight or who did it, they could not know. They did not say, oh, by the way, our son walked the aisle. He invited Jesus into his heart and made him Lord and Savior. No, (laughs) They could have said that. How did he receive sight? He invited Jesus. He made him Lord and Savior. He chose Jesus. No, they did not say that. They said we do not know how these things work. Why? Because the giving of sight is not the work of man. It is the work of God. It is the work of God. John 3, 8. Jesus said, talking to Nicodemus, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell, you see, cannot tell. The parents could not tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone born of the Spirit. There's no way that the parents could know how their son actually, even though they... But at this moment, when he was healed, they were not there. It's only Jesus and the man and the disciples. So they could not tell. But in, in God's arrangement, he purposed it to be this way that he may continue to teach what we just read from John 3 8. But this is an application of the teaching of Jesus from John 8 of how one gets born again. And also related to that is the revelation of Jesus to a person. The parents did not know who Jesus was or Jesus is. At this point, they did not know him. Because there's no man who can know Christ unless it's been revealed to them. And Jesus himself said in Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So the wind, that is the Holy Spirit, has blown where it wishes, and the Father has revealed the Son to whomever He wills. And listen to also what the pens did not say. I did say this one. The pens did not say, oh, by the way, we read Billy Graham's book on how to be born again, <laughs> it's on page 15. <laughs> how to be born again. <laughs> they said, we don't know. If anything, you ask him how he received this sight. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And of course, humanly speaking, the parents are saying more theology than they understood. They are trying to not bring the work of Christ into disrepute and at the same time, they are trying to protect their own skins the Pharisees have already determined that Jesus is a false prophet because he is healing on the Sabbath and anyone who sides with him is by default heretical and must be thrown out of the synagogue. And so the parents played safe but as I said, their statements are by God's doing. They speak to the truth that the revelation of Christ to a man is the work of God alone. They speak to the truth that all men, all children of men, are born blind. So John says, verse 22, and we'll finish. His parents say these things because they fear the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So the synagogue was more than just a place of worship for the Jews. Jewish life and economics revolved around the activities and participation and access to the synagogue. Your livelihood depended on your continued access to the synagogue. And so being banished and getting excommunicated meant that one's livelihood Was also destroyed in many respects. So they were trying to pull a balancing act here. (laughs) But what is all that saying? It is saying all men are born blind. Even though some claim to see like the Pharisees. But all men are born blind. But those who belong to Christ will realize that they were born blind blind and they are blind beggars and they are blind beggars to the glory of god god is glorified in the salvation of his blind people christ is glorified in the giving of spiritual sight to his people and we continue to argue that sin did not happen by accident in god's creation it was necessary That Christ may be revealed this way. It was necessary that the glory of God in Christ in salvation may be revealed in this way. It was by him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. People have to know that God is in the business of glory. God is in the business of glory and no other business. And so Christ was glorified. In the salvation of his people the cross is a work of God's glory so the glory of Christ is clearly seen in the salvation of his people It's seen in the opening of the eyes of those that are blind those who are crippled those who are lame those who are infirm those who are sick For it has never happened that one can open the eyes of the blind. What is that saying? It has never happened. It means it is impossible for men to save themselves or others. It has never happened and it will never happen. There's only one who has done it is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the story of the blind beggar. And Lord, I just pray that you cause us to see ourselves in him as those who had no eyes to see spiritual things, no eyes to see Christ, no ability to receive the things of Christ until he showed up. And praise the Lord that Jesus showed up and he healed us and open our eyes that we may see him and believe in the gospel. Lord, I pray now for this message as it goes out that you grant ears to all those who have been appointed to hear it. We pray again for Your grace to abound towards us as we prepare to go to the conference next week. Be merciful to us, Lord. May you show up for your people and speak powerfully through your servants, through your word, And open the hearts of your people that they may hear what this gospel is all about. We pray and we thank you in all things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.